cabin of the plane was just big enough for the four of us, six feet by four feet with oval windows on each side. I yelled to the instructor over the whirring of the propeller, How far to altitude? One-fifth of the way up, he said calmly. Oh, I gulped. Eight thousand feet to go. The plane kept climbing until we emerged from a cloud and sunlight filled the cabin. My instructor shifted to the left, grabbed the door of the plane, and released the lever. The door flung open when smacked my face and the buzz of the propeller roared in my ears. I looked down at the earth 10,000 feet below and my legs went limp. The instructor tapped my shoulder and I used my hands to pull my knees to my chest like I was shown on the ground, then rotated to the left and let my feet hang out the open door. Banana! The instructor shouted. I placed my feet against the side of the plane just under the door, kept my shoulders back, and pushed my hips forward so my body formed an inverse banana to ensure when we, we would clear the plane when we jumped. I kept my eyes up. We rocked backward and forward once, then again, and on the third, the instructor pushed off, catapulting us toward the earth. I like frozen, chocolate, and cooking my kitchen. I'm Kate. I like frozen chocolate chips, people watching, and watching Instagram videos of orcas. I'm Sierra, and I like TV shows about vampires, driving in the rain, and writing things that Scott Winter will call too abstract. I am John, and I like trying new things, sweating, and staring up at the clouds. Welcome to Modern Story Podcast, episode number three. Today we're telling stories about encounters with our fears and all the various complexities that come from being one-fifth of the way up to adulthood, to life, to whatever. So let's get started talking about that story. John, you really jumped out of a plane and, and someone said banana before you did it. <laughs> That's crazy. The, the banana is an art form, really. As you're, as you're jumping right out of the plane, if you don't push your hips forward, you might get clipped by the wheel. So you need to make sure that your body is you know, sufficiently curved so you actually clear the wow. airplane. Were you afraid of getting clipped by the wheel? Honestly, the instructor the instructor instilled a lot of confidence in me. He yeah, uh, yeah he said he had jumped over four thousand times. So uh -huh. all of a sudden it just wow. felt like I was at the top of a roller coaster on yeah. my way down. That's facing your fears. Mm -hmm. All right. So we are going to get started with Elena and her story called Curveball. I only heard a noise. I saw the smoke and air beds. Cleveland had exploded, sacrificing themselves to fulfill their purpose. I still have my eyes on the road, but I have one hand on my phone, so I see that my friends have forgiven me. I was on my way home from the apartment, where all I did was watch his cat on the road and steer fruitlessly out of puzzle. We didn't really talk. I heard the air guards and the petty ignorance was the last thing on my mind. I caught my mom in tears and that's what I do whenever something remotely inconvenient happens. She told me to call 911 and eventually a very nice state trooper went April with Rock and I window. We got my car to the roadside and then I'm waiting for a tow truck. I hope my mom at least five times in the next ten minutes and eventually profoundly crying on that roadside. She walked up quickly and left me in the biggest bear hood that melted all the sin and fear and shame. 
I got the notice on October 24, 2018, that I'd been accepted to study abroad in England, Air Ireland, Air France, and Scotland, Air Ireland, Italy, with special university the next fall. I spent the next six months wearing my experience and mastering the police report detail, like how many kinds of snacks I need to pack. I still wear them though, but I left my friend's house by August afternoon. I hated to leave the shower mood. I tend to think more harker while I ask for business and check my phone a few times as I sped towards the 280 exit and then the wall went wild. Look around my personal self, the rental doctor and the chiropractor, the chiropractor for the second time that day, <laughs> and both said that a possible biopercussion wouldn't prevent me from hopping on the plane on that day. We got Mukla a rock star show, a typical Friday night in our house. Our show featured the line, Parenting is the only love story that ends in goodbye. And we just sat there and tried to the perfect timing of that truth. It didn't feel like the last time of anything. I'd seen my mother there in six weeks. It just happened to be on the other side of the world. But there was a lesson in heaven curveballs. I was grateful for the practice in a familiar environment. Next morning, I got my nails done for a trip. got on the phone to the insurance agent about the accident. Even with Alex Cadell before takeoff, I wasn't particularly sure what to expect. I knew I'd go to the airport, see some friends and acquaintances, and hop on a plane. <laughs> Apart from that, I was flying blind. I stood in the living room, Sunlight streaming out of the world's floor and took the bad to life a hundred. And then we're on the road, cruising toward a new beginning. One, two, ready, uh. Thanks for that story, Elena. After um, hearing that, I'm just thinking of, of what all you experienced. Uh, through the car accident and then also through studying abroad. What do you feel like you learned from those experiences? Um, a lot of it, especially on the study abroad, a lot of it was learning how to be independent in new places, and learning how to, I don't want to say survive, but how to like make my own life. Like we have sleep, but we also have plenty of downtime, Everything like do whatever. And early on in the trip, I hated the hotel room a lot. Mm-hmm. And then after the trip, I got more comfortable going out and exploring and trying new friends and just being in Elena, new places. That, that's awesome. What was your favorite place that you uh, that you got to visit when you were abroad? London. Absolutely London. London. Gorgeous town. Really... It's kind of like New York, and like it's a great city, but it's not so chaotic and not so loud. At least not the part that I went to. And it's easy to navigate, and it's very friendly. And easy to navigate? <laughs> in my opinion, <laughs> in my opinion, the subway in London is a lot more narrow than the subway in, uh, or I should say, the tube in London. <laughs> a lot more narrow than the subway in New York City. Yeah, 
I'm, I'm scared of the tube. Sometimes you'd be shuffling on, you'd be running to get on. I would be scared that you would get wedged between the platform and the tube, oh, and then the you'd die. What a horrible right way to die. Wow. I'm afraid of the tube. No, but if we go, like, the red line to the stop, but have both the red and the yellow line, and you get off and put on the yellow line, and you don't get stop, it's kind of like a puzzle. And I have an app now, too. You can really enter your circle stops in the app, and it will tell you what routes to take. So you you mastered it. You oh, yeah. You figured it it's out. Fun. It's That's fun. That's awesome. of technology. Yes. Okay. Now let's talk. Here from Kate and her story called Figuring It Out. Confession. I don't know what I'm doing. When I was 16, I thought 22 was so grown up. Even when I was 18, 22 seemed like a real adult age, like the age when I'd know what a mortgage is or when I'd receive checks from my employer worth more than 100 bucks. Turns out 22 isn't all that much different than 18, and there's more I don't know than I first thought. I don't know how to check my oil, let alone change it. I don't know how to change a tire, and when I asked my dad to learn, he just said, call me. My dad lives 283 miles away. I'm not quite sure what my social security number is, but if you tell me, I promise I'll remember for at least an hour, maybe 30 minutes. I don't know whether a Roth IRA, a FICA, and a 401k are all the same, and if I have, should have any of them by now. I'm hoping that I don't need any, ever. I don't know how to work iCloud. How is one expected to control a cloud? When I'm really stuck, I just call my brother and have him explain to me it's something with the password I created when I first got my phone, and it's the one I can't remember. Speaking of him, I'm not confident I know what my brother does for a living, even though he's explained it to me and every extended family member at least twice. I don't know why no one has told my grandma she can't say most of what she whispers too loudly. I don't know why my hand reaches the back of my head to scratch at any bump it can find when I'm stressed. I don't know if my boyfriend and I will end up together yet. I don't know how to sign up for those licensure exams I have to take in order to become a real-life teacher, or when I have to take them by, or where. I don't really know why people raise their hands in worship, or why some people stuff their hands in their pockets, or why some people only raise them for beautiful things and oceans. And I don't know if it's worth asking God what his people are supposed to do with their hands. Definitely not last, but possibly most important, I don't know how I'm capable of losing one sock at a time. I also don't know where they actually go. But here's what I know about what I don't know. Some things are simply unknowable, while others should be figured out. I'm just not quite sure which category each should go to yet. I do know I'd prefer a pair of worn-in shoes to new ones every time. I know enough random people's birthdays to make me creepy. I know the world is not made for left-handers like myself. I know I mostly pretend to use my refillable water bottle. I know when my dog dies, I'll cry hard enough for snot spit to fall on my shirt. But I also know that when a horse statue has one hoof raised and a soldier on him, it means the soldier died of wounds from the battle. And I know I'll never be able to tell you where I learned that fact, or be able to recite this list in Spanish, despite taking it from 3rd to 10th grade. 
I'm hoping this list grows. Thank God I have the rest of my life to learn what I don't know, and nine more months of being 22 to figure out what a mortgage is. One, two, three, four. I think that that's, that's a wonderful story. Um, it's I, I appreciate the honesty. Um, I think that the the creepy birthdays line is hilarious because I actually can remember a high or a middle school girlfriend's birthday November nineteenth every day. Hey, or every day year. before mine. Really? Oh. Yeah. Oh. Now you can remember the both. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but every every year I think of her. I never reach out, but. She still crosses my mind. Don't give me that. <laughs> nice. You're a really good middle school ex-boyfriend, John. <laughs> yeah. Okay, a lot of things in that story I found to be actually really relatable. I mean, obviously, the teacher examination one I had to go through as well. But also, like, you'll probably hear some similarities in my story. Where are all my socks? I don't know. We were just talking about this. I can't find my socks. Got six singles, yeah. Yep. <laughs> and they're all the wrong color. <laughs> they're all the wrong color, too. Uh, Okay, up next we have uh, John reading his story, The Only Way Out is Through. I was the first person to class on the day of the speech. I found my seat in the back of the windowless room and stared with worry eyes at the poster next to the whiteboard, the one with the little sunflower breaking through a crack in a road with the line, the only way out is through on it. The same line my teacher, Miss Anderson, used in response to the email I sent her the week before, begging her to exempt me from the speech. I hated ninth grade, I hated the withering sunflower and the cliché line below it, and I hated this, that Miss Anderson was forcing me to do the speech. She hadn't witnessed what happened to me the semester before. It was during the uh, poetry unit. Extra credit was offered to anyone willing to recite the poem they had written for the class, so I, never having worried about speaking in front of anyone, volunteered quickly. My poem was about happiness, and as I was about halfway through, I began to worry that the metaphor I used, comparing happiness to a circle, wouldn't catch hold with the class. As I approached the line, I choked up. My mouth kept moving, but the words simply stopped coming out. In desperation, I took my seat, as surprised as the rest of the class and unsure of what just happened. I had never gotten anxious in front of anyone. To be nervous in front of a class was a direct attack upon my personal identity that was all wrapped up in pride and self-assurance. So, like a good, strong ninth-grade boy, I suppressed all my anxiety about getting back back up in front of the class. But now, one semester later, I was back in the same position, and there was no way out. As I sat in the back, staring up at the sunflower on the wall, I thought back to what my therapist had said the night before. Just scream at the voices in your head and tell them to get the hell out of there. As the class started to fill up, the voices only got louder. I knew what the next minutes had in store. It was going to be bad. I would stand up front, red-faced, shaking, literally unable to get the words out. I would forget my train of thought. All my friends would see that I'm an imposter, that my bravado is just a facade to cover my insecurities. I would have no friends, and all the while, Miss Anderson would be sitting in the back in her chair with a sinister smile on her face, delighting in my demise. I was convinced she enjoyed watching others suffer. Every day, she would vent to the class about the extremely sad events that had transpired in her adult life. Her husband had left her without a call or a text. One day, she went home, and all his things were gone. She never heard another word from him. 
So now is the perfect chance to ruin the life of one of her students, and I was certain she would never pass that up. Once the bell rang, I volunteered to go first, figuring I would rather sit and reflect on the traumatic experience than sit in anticipation of it. I inhaled deeply, exhaled, and walked to the front of the class. From there, it was mostly a blur, but it must have gone well because I was still breathing. I hadn't forgot to put my clothes on. I didn't wet myself, and I successfully withheld any tears like a big, strong ninth-grade boy is expected to. A short five minutes later, I was back in my chair, listening to the speeches of the other students, all the while distracted by the poster on the wall of the mighty sunflower fighting to grow through the crack in the road. Maybe, just maybe, Miss Anderson understood something that I couldn't when she told me that the only way out is through. Thank you for that story, John. Um, <laughs> as, as, a, as a future educator, one of the things that struck me the most is, is the sort of changed perception that you had of your teacher going from thinking she literally was like hoping to hand you that F uh, to, to actually having some insight about her. Does she know anything about this story? Well, I'll admit, I, I gave her a big hug after the speech <laughs> when everyone had left the class. Um, <laughs> It was a breakthrough moment for both of us. I had, I hadn't realized at all that there was a lot of uh, unbeknownst wisdom in everything that she was telling me, and and uh, yeah, willing me to actually fight through the fear. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the other thing I'm curious about, also as an English teacher, this poem about the circle of happiness. <laughs> you know, do you yeah. re- do you remember it? <laughs> yeah, I think. Well. I'll admit, I wrote it in lunch just the, a few minutes before the class. Um, but my idea was, I think, I was trying to get at the idea that circles, you know, start at a point and always come back to the point. And so happiness, one, when you're happy, despite how far from that original point of happiness that you have, eventually you're going to be happy again. Emotions come and go. Sadness the same way. Mm, yeah. John, I like that you you give me a good perspective of a ninth grade boy's mind. Like that is not something I'm familiar with whatsoever. And when I was a ninth grader, I feel like I was a relatively shy person. And so understanding the the mind of someone who didn't ever get nervous uh, to public speak up until a certain point, that's a good good realization for my little ninth grade self that everyone gets nervous everyone is dealing with their own things everyone writes their poems the lunch period before class you know relatable and i mean i'm usually the person to be you walk into class and i'm the guy talking to everyone so i think that it was a a little juxtaposition there yeah yeah i hope this podcast i'm giving you flashbacks <laughs> no, no. I feel like I'm successfully, you know, through. No, no flashbacks. I'm growing, Good. growing strong in the middle <laughs> yeah. of the road. So now, last but certainly not least, let's hear from Sierra and her story called "Unanswerable Questions." Uh, 
For the entire fall semester, I often felt a bit more like a student teaching than a student teacher, because let's face it, I don't know what I'm doing. I woke up 10 minutes before my must-be-in-the-car time, having eaten a hearty breakfast of tap water. Now I'm standing in front of 30 students who think I know more about Huckleberry Finn than I do. How do I deflect the gaze of 30 underdressed, over-caffeinated 16-year-olds who likely didn't read chapters 3 through 6 last night, but are dearly hoping the person next to them did? I didn't read Huckleberry Finn in 10th grade when I was supposed to. I got a 2 out of 10 on a quote quiz because I'd only read three chapters and thought the king and the duke were real royalty. But there were a lot of things I didn't know when I was a 10th grader. I couldn't cook chicken on the stove, I didn't know how to find a 35E, and I thought that listening to Schoolboy Q and wearing black converse made me sick. I think it just made me really basic. One time, I lost just one of my Converse at a Bethel dance, but don't ask me how. I don't know how all my clothes disappear. There's an abyss out there with all the matches to my black socks, my t-shirt from Venice Beach, and my mom's jean jacket. Only God knows where these things go, I suppose. I didn't read Huckleberry Finn in American literature in college either. Sorry, Thomas Becknell. I told everyone in class I'd read it in high school. And funny thing, too, I passed that AP literature exam. I got an A in Thomas Becknell's class. I was whirling through classes with extreme half-assery, and nobody had stopped me, or has stopped me for that matter. My dad told me that it is important to play the game, but I never knew what the game was. Life? School? Half-assery? I don't know how to play mousetrap. I would always spend all the time setting up the pieces so the marble could fall through perfectly and trap the mouse. I don't know what the actual rules are, but let's be real. There are quite a few games where I just pretend to know the rules, like football or broomball or hopscotch, which I think has something to do with throwing a rock onto the ground. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like we're just players desperately hoping we get a participation trophy because winning is definitely not an option. After American literature, I put Huck Finn back on my bookshelf, The Spine Unbroken. Why read Mark Twain anyways? I was the worst almost English teacher ever. I think Jane Austen is too dull. I don't know how all those characters manage to stay awake scene after scene. I think T.S. Eliot is too heady. I don't know how anyone could understand the wasteland without assistance from hallucinogens. But I'm also just a college student, and I didn't know much sophomore year. All my passwords are basically the same. The name of my baby stuffed animal and my house number. If you can get into my Spotify, you can likely get into my bank app. In the largest oversight of my young life, I've shared this information with all of my ex-boyfriends. Also, who even knows how to use their bank app? I can never figure out where my money is. I never understand why if I go below zero, I get charged $35. It just seems like common sense to me that if I am below zero, I cannot afford a $35 fee. I stay awake at night wondering if all those pop-ups on my laptop are just, uh, all those pop-ups on my laptop and if all the remind me laters are actually just the slow road to spontaneous combustion. What even is a startup disc? Didn't I already start up my laptop? It seems to be starting up just fine. When I began student teaching my senior year, I had to make a password. I used the same system as always, but I added a period. So at least my ex-boyfriends won't be able to hack my lesson planning. I had to crack the spine on Huckleberry Finn and spend several weeks stumbling through lectures where teenage eyes burned me like lasers. Sometimes I'd do impromptu character quizzes so the one tryhard in my class could remind me exactly who I'm supposed to be talking about. I don't know how to be a teacher. I don't know how to grade. Some things definitely suck and the rest is just a toss-up. 
I don't know how to motivate students to want to read Huck Finn. I certainly don't want to teach them to play the game, which from personal experience is just a surefire way to introduce high schoolers to Sparknotes. Maybe I should really be teaching them what a startup disc is so they can sleep better at night. But I guess I'm going to teach. And sometimes when we'd study Huck Finn, my students would ask me unanswerable questions about motifs or racism or history, and I would just say, that's a great question. I don't know. And I would feel the room exhale. That's wonderful. Thank you for that, Sierra. Um, I actually felt at the end like I was almost exhaling, too. It's nice to admit <laughs> we don't know. Um, I like to start the healthy water uh, or healthy breakfast of tap water this morning. Actually, just before we sat down in here, I was like, uh, I think that my heart's going to start beating really fast if I don't actually eat something. So I <laughs> and ate something very quickly. Yeah, it gets you. <laughs> I like the, the relatability of... Um, that must be in the car time and and losing things. I know we have that similarity. Just out of curiosity, did you find your mom's jean jacket and did you find the black Converse? Oh no! Okay, my Converse w- was gone. I lost it in Minneapolis somewhere. Yeah, and okay. I actually got it. I got a new pair because one Converse oh, is not useful. Um, but update: I did find my mom's <gasps> jean jacket. Mm-hmm revolutionary oh, I know word. is in my sister's roommate's closet oh. Oh. Okay. Parents, parents wardrobes are the best thrift shop for sure genuinely and, and that's why she was so mad that it was gone <laughs> and I actually still wear Converse and listen to schoolboy Q so am I sick yeah, you're, John you're sick <laughs> yep how does your conversation with boyfriends help I tell you about Sometimes, sometimes you know, you share Spotify's, you 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 log into it, you can just log into my stuff, oh. and, or or you know, you just like you tell them the name of your baby stuffed animal. It's kind of embarrassing, so you want to like swear them to secrecy. Okay, okay. And all of a sudden, you've shared a little too much. And you're like, well, I'm not going back. You know? That's my life. <laughs> oh, like there's always no going back at that point. Uh huh. Uh-huh. At least they won't be able to hack your lesson planning. Yeah, that's yeah. the most important. Um, Sierra, I also like how you you take us w- through your learning experience. You start um, really, obviously, not knowing much about student teaching at all, but I feel like we were with you through that process. Um, and even though there wasn't a full um, resolution, there was some, and you, you kind of... Um, lead into the fact that there will be more to come. It's just not right now. And I like that. It kind of plays into the one-fifth of the way up. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like if I could broaden that idea, I feel like we all sort of have that in our story, that there's things that we've been through and we've learned, but there are things still left to learn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, overall, anyone have any other insights? I know we're all still kind of one-fifth of the way up, which would maybe signify that in our 20s we're going to live to be like 105. But, yeah, the any circle other? is not complete yet. This is not complete. Yes, there is definitely more to come. I think we're going to need to hear this poem. Turn in next time to hear John read this poem about the circle. <laughs> I think I'll say just uh, no matter how daunting the uh, you know certain fears that lie in our head are uh, you know 
in anticipation of them, they're always so much more extreme than they are when you're thinking about them in mm. retrospect. I cannot imagine the way I felt the night before the speech because that it's so foreign to me now. But at the time, it was very severe. And yeah. so it's interesting in retrospect. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, I like, this might be a cheesy line, so I'm sorry if it's too much of a cheese, but I heard someone say recently, do things scared. Um, and I think, in a sense, that's what we're doing, um, each of us a little bit, is uh, we don't have the full confidence to do something um, right off the bat, but we are able to do it scared nonetheless. So I, mm. I like that line. Not too cheesy. <laughs> Phew. Okay, we want to thank some people for helping us out on the Modern Story podcast at Bethel University in St. Paul, Minnesota. Thank you, Nick Whiteland, and also Tay, for doing the podcast in here and giving us access to it. Thanks to Sam Mulberry, Zach Walker, Abby Pouts, and the two Emmas for showing us how to do a live podcast. And thanks to the writers who inspired our stories. And we should thank each other for our edits. Thanks, guys. Thank that was helpful. Thank to you. Thank you. Yeah. And lastly, go tell your mother about Modern Story. Go tell the dog down the street about Modern Story. Or your babysitter. Or your ninth-grade teacher. Or your middle school girlfriend. <laughs> Boyfriend. You know, Maybe not that one. Yeah. Cheers.